Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. And the kind of walls that Nehemiah tore down were walls of opposition, were those words that were spoken by the enemies of Israel. We look back through the pages of scripture and we see some characters who have exercised impressive leadership, some at times of building and others for times of rebuilding. In this series of Reimagining Church, Dr. Corbett is standing back to see where we've come from and what lessons we can learn for going forward. Let's look into it further, shall we, as we join Dr. Corbett for Some Walls Need to be Torn Down and Some Need to be Rebuilt. We're continuing the Reimagining uh, Church series and we are now looking at a vital aspect, perhaps arguably the most important aspect to functioning well as a church. So as we begin to look at this, as we begin to look at probably the most profound ingredient that God uses to accomplish his purpose through a group of people known as a local church, let's pray. Father, help us now to see in your word things that you have put there for us to explore and discover. I pray, Father, that you would help me to deliver your word and to be able to make it plain so, Father, help me now, I pray. Amen. When we consider the difference between what makes for a church that flourishes and thrives, we can see that there is one constant thing that, that keeps coming up about this, and that is the quality or the giftedness of a local church leader. Local church leaders are considered to be the single biggest factor in whether a local church is healthy or not. Now, some of you may hear me say this is we're talking about a professional member of the clergy or the one with the title pastor. I probably just need to clarify, sometimes those who contribute the greatest gift of leadership to a local church don't necessarily have a title. They're not necessarily professionals. That is, they're not necessarily clergy. They, they may not have even a official, a, 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 an official title or position in a church, yet they lead. And they lead because they do what leaders do, even without a title or without, sometimes even without public recognition. And so sometimes these people are referred to as statesmen, they have a certain air about them. People look up to them. People respect them because they have a track record of being able to offer wise counsel, uh, give insight, give direction, and, and be a part of the steering of a group of people. When it comes to leaders who are described in the Bible, there's someone who I think was, in my opinion, one of the greatest leaders of all, apart, of course, apart from Jesus Christ. If I ask you who do you think would be one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, I, I'm guessing that many of you would say King David. And, and I would get that. I would understand why you would think King David. After all, he was the one who consolidated the kingdom from King David came the golden era when his son Solomon extended the borders of Israel and brought in a time of peace. Solomon 
never had to deal with any wars or battles because his father dealt with it. That's great leadership, no doubt about it. But I think I've got good reasons for thinking that he's not the greatest leader described in the Bible. And, and I would make a case that the greatest leader in the Bible was Nehemiah. And I think Nehemiah shows us that some walls need to be torn down and some walls need to be rebuilt. And the kind of walls that Nehemiah tore down were walls of opposition. The kind of walls that Nehemiah tore down were those words that were spoken by the enemies of Israel. Those people who said you can never rebuild this wall because you don't have the strength, you don't have the resources, you don't have the ability to do it. And Nehemiah was able to tear those walls down. And in the process, he did what many had tried to do for many years and had been unsuccessful. And this is why I think what Nehemiah did in just over 50 days goes down, in the Bible at least, as one of the most extraordinary feats of leadership in all of Scripture. I think the example of Nehemiah is a, a, almost, almost a perfect role model for us as Christians and believers today. Let, let's consider why I think Nehemiah was able to do what he did. And I'll just give you a heads up. The reason he could do it was not because he tried to do everything himself. In fact, this is the single biggest factor in why I think Nehemiah was the greatest leader described in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. And that is this, he partnered with people. And it wasn't just the strong and the mighty, the wealthy, in fact, far from it. He was able to muster people who thought they had nothing to offer. He, he, in fact, he mustered women who were told, get out of our way. We're, we're trying to rebuild this wall. And what can you do to that? You're a woman. He mustered women. He involved women in the rebuilding of the wall. What about the older people? Sometimes we, we push our, our older citizens aside because this is a young person's world. Nehemiah didn't think so. He used older people and they gained great satisfaction in the fact that they could be a part of his project to rebuild the wall. We read in the opening chapter of Nehemiah this profound account where it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. That's the predicament that moved Nehemiah to tears and the scripture goes on to say in the next verse as soon as I heard these words I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven Nehemiah was deeply moved he was moved because he cared 
And that's one of the secret ingredients of great leaders. They care. And you might think he was caring about the architecture of the ancient city of Jerusalem. You might think that he was concerned about the need for physical things such as walls and gates and bricks and mortar and the like. And while he certainly did display a certain care for that, Nehemiah's greatest care was for the people. They were in great trouble, his brother said, and great shame. And this moved Nehemiah because the wall represented something. It wasn't just about the wall. It was what the wall around the city represented. As equally to that, the rubble where the wall used to be sent a message as well. And to Nehemiah, the rubble around the city of Jerusalem that the Babylonians had completely dismantled also sent a message that there was no hope. The rubble around the wall told everyone, we are powerless and our God cannot help us. And Nehemiah was moved to tears. The problem that Nehemiah had, though, was that he was in the service of the king of Persia, the Persian king Ahasuerus. And so he was the wine waiter. And it appears that he had been the wine waiter of the king, the emperor, for many years. And he had become a trusted member of the, queen's, uh, sorry, of the king's court. And so when he approached the king, there was a fair bit of trepidation because he was never allowed to come into the king's presence looking sad or upset at all. And so Nehemiah prays this prayer. It's Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, that is, the king. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. Coming into the king of Persia's presence upset was a very risky thing to do. And quite possibly Nehemiah had seen other public servants come in looking glum and it had possibly cost them their life. But Nehemiah exhibited what every great, great leader exhibits. A deep spiritual trust in God, which usually translates into them being a person who knows how to pray. They cast all their cares onto the Lord, 1 Peter 5, 7. And Nehemiah certainly did that. We have a lot to learn from this man. He was a great spiritual leader. We read in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad 
when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> that is such a remarkable statement. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4. In, put on the spot, Nehemiah prayed. And you've you got to understand, for those who don't appreciate, that prayer does not have to be verbalized. Prayer can be a thought, a thought expressed to God, a conversation with God by thought. And Nehemiah knew how to do it, and that's what he did. The result of Nehemiah expressing to the king as a result of his prayer was that the king appointed him as the governor of Jerusalem responsible for rebuilding the wall. And I said to the king, in response to the king's question, what do you request? If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in your sight, then that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. You might think, what on earth would a wine waiter know about how to rebuild a city, especially its fortifying walls, its protective walls? <laughs> well, we don't know, but we know that he must have been thinking about this for a long time and he must have been praying about this and asking God for strategies. Sometimes it's not the experts that get the job done. Sometimes it's people who have a heart to get the job done that actually get the job done. And that's one of the hallmarks of great leaders. They don't take the opposition's word. They take God's word as their compass. And so we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. So I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So there we have that Nehemiah is clearly He's prayed, God, I have no idea how to do this. How am I going to get this done? God put something in his heart. He put a strategy into Nehemiah's heart. I'm going to suggest to you that that strategy was as simple as this. Partner with people. Involve people. Trust people to help you. This is one of the greatest ingredients of what makes for a healthy church. Church is not meant to be a place where you come and spectate as you watch people for perform. Church is meant to be a place where you come and you are a part of the building. Don't misunderstand me, not the physical building, but the Bible says that we are all being built into a temple, a holy temple. We are all living stones who comprise that temple so that when we come together as the church and someone is preaching or praying or leading the worship. We participate. I recently connected with uh, Reverend David Rickfeld, who started his PhD at Melbourne School of Theology on how to listen to a sermon. That's his PhD dissertation. He said there's much to learn about how to listen to a sermon when you understand that listening to a sermon, listening to the preaching of God's word, is an act of worship. Here, Nehemiah tells us that God had put something into his heart. He didn't tell people what God had put into his heart. He didn't give them the whole vision. He didn't come with grandiose plans about, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. Watch me do it. We read on in this passage, there was no animal with me. 
but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So we see here, Nehemiah did what every good leader, every great leader does. He assessed the problem for himself. He wasn't reliant on what other people thought about the problem. Clearly, the people who had been there for years and years already, who had not been able to get the rubble removed and the wall rebuilt, had thought, this is too big, it can't be done. But Nehemiah had something in his heart from God. That's the difference between a manager and a leader. And Nehemiah had the ability to manage and lead with God's help. What, what he did was he got to know who the people were, the inhabitants, the citizens of Jerusalem. We read that in Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and then further down in verses 6 to 32. We read in chapter 2, verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? This is Nehemiah talking to the citizens of Jerusalem. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, what Nehemiah had done was absolutely genius. He led a coalition of partners in doing something that only together could be done. Now, in response to this, as every person, no matter what their background, rolled up their sleeves, got literally got their hands dirty, there were those who were of the upper class, the nobles, who felt this is beneath them. They said, we're not going to do this. <laughs> so we read in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, next to them the Tekoyots repaired but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Nehemiah had some very strong words to say to these people, and he exercised what I would consider to be fatherly skill in exactly the same way that the Apostle Paul said that every leader in a local church also had to have fatherly skill. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 where Paul tells Titus appoint elders who can he must it says here that an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give that is the elder may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And this is clearly what Paul was done. He later told Titus this testimony is true Therefore, rebuke them sharply, he tells Titus, that they may be sound in the faith. Every leader must know how to correct those who are not doing or saying the right thing. So Nehemiah knew that in order to maintain the morale of his coalition of partners, he had to be firm with these high polluting nobles who felt it was too far beneath them to get involved and to get their hands dirty. Nehemiah rebuked these elders and it says in Nehemiah chapter 5 verses 6, 7 and 9, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, 
you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? See, Nehemiah, not only when he found out they wouldn't work, they were actually, they were actually charging interest to those who were working. And he rebuked them for it. Leaders know how to confront. Great leaders know how to confront with compassion. I wonder if we might look at Nehemiah at this point in the journey and, and ask, was he task-driven or was he a people person? I hope I've already made the point he was clearly a people person. I think every parent has to learn how to lead like this because sometimes it can sound like when we're parenting that we're task-driven. We want rooms tidied. We want dishes dried. We want tables cleared we want clothes hung out on the line we want things done and it sounds like parents are just task 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 but this is one of the essential qualities of a leader they know how to care for those they lead and to still get things done so we see that by nehemiah assigning to each of the the citizens of jerusalem a segment of the wall. It's estimated that they had about 10 metres of the wall to reconstruct. That by doing that, not by asking someone to reconstruct you know, all five or six kilometres of wall, but getting each couple, each household. In one instance, it was a father and a daughter who had a section to do. That the wall was completed, the entire wall was completed in 52 days. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15. What had not been done after years of wanting and effort because of Nehemiah's leadership and his ability to organise people to work together. The word for that is partnership. It's one of the reasons why in our church, it was probably over 20 years ago, that I realised we are inviting people to become members of our church. And this means kind of like becoming a member of a gym or something like that where you expect the gym to do everything for you to provide the equipment to provide the services to provide the council and so on but really that's not the model we should have for thinking about a local church it's not where you come and there's a handful of people who do everything for you you spectate you maybe even pay for a service that they can provide whether it be the sermon on a Sunday or the worship they provide on a Sunday or whether it's the council through the week they offer the church is meant to be partners each contributing our own gifts and abilities and talents and this is what Nehemiah was able to harness but when he did he encountered what every leader encounters every leader encounters opposition even though Nehemiah was an impeccable person, in other words, you couldn't fault him. Even though he was servant-hearted, even though he, dis he demonstrated, clearly demonstrated care for those that he was partnering with in wanting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem before he returned to King Artaxerxes, despite that, despite all these wonderful traits, he had spiteful critics. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, there were three men, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, who greeted him and offered to help him. 
But Nehemiah saw right through their ruse. He discerned that they had not come to help him at all, but to control him. Their interest in whatever Nehemiah was planning to do, and at that point we already read that Nehemiah had not divulged what God had put into his heart just yet, pretty soon when they realised that he wasn't going to let them in on it, their offer of help quickly turned into sinister opposition. So we read in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 2, 5 and 12, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm in the same way. Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. <laughs> so Nehemiah, despite being a good man, a man who was servant-hearted, a man who had a heart for God and a heart for people, encountered great opposition. Nehemiah's response to these toxic opponents that he had, it may sound cold or impolite, perhaps even arrogant. We read in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 6, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Well, I'll leave it and come down to you. <laughs> I can't come. I'm not coming to you. I'm actually doing something important. In other words, what you're trying to do is to distract me and detract me from what God has called me to do. And that's what great leaders do. They stay focused on the task. You know, in the church, we have a task. We've already looked at the mission of the church and I know for some people the task is simply to evangelise and to convert people to Christianity. I'm saying it is that but it's more than that. I think as I've shown you in our, our episode on the partnering with God in his mission, you know, being on mission with God, we see that we're also to be a community that cares for each other, a community that helps the greater community a community that teaches our young, a community that knows how to speak words of justice into those who are in political power. That's the prophetic call on the church. So the church isn't just to be a people who reach out to others or a church that just worships and has a nice time each Sunday and then goes home and does, goes about their business through the week without any thought for God or his word or his mission. We are to be on duty, on mission, 24-7. And the one person in a local church that will help people to remember that is its leader. God rarely appoints committees to lead a church. The, the track record of scripture is that he appoints leaders. We see Jesus chose Peter, James and John, and out of those he chose Peter and then he chose 12, and then he chose 70. And by the time of his ascension, he had 500 followers who witnessed his post-resurrection appearances. God chooses leaders. And Nehemiah is a great example of a godly leader who knew how to stay on mission, not be distracted. So he continued to do the right thing. He wouldn't be distracted by his opponents. It's one of the greatest leadership 
skills, and I'm still working on it, so pray for me that I can, <laughs> that I can improve in this way. But great leaders know how to encourage themselves because every leader will tell you one of the hardest, most difficult things about leading is the battle with discouragement. We read in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, Tobiah, the, one of the three, the opponents of Nehemiah, the Ammonite, was beside himself. And he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their wall, uh, their stone wall. So here we have the ridicule coming as, as Nehemiah is trying to help the people. We have this ridicule. But Nehemiah stayed on course. He continued to partner with people who didn't think they had much to offer. And in a local church, you may not think you have much to offer. Simply praying is a great thing. It's like building the wall. Why don't you step up and build your part of the wall? You build your part of the wall by, by asking God to use you and then being open to how he might. We read in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, that is, that the wall was completed, even though they said it would never happen, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So we see that Nehemiah actually was able to restore dignity and honour to the people who thought they had none because they served God. He used the power of partnership. Every local church needs people who know the power of partnership, a commitment. It is a spiritual warfare act. Anytime a person, a couple, a family says, we will be partners in this local church, it is an act of warfare, spiritual warfare. And it does great things in the spirit realm. So what do we learn from here as well? No matter how inadequate you might think you are, God can use you to rebuild a spiritual wall around your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be a part of it. That might mean that you serve by opening the door on a Sunday and welcoming people with a smile and a handshake. It might mean that after the service you pour a cup of tea for someone as an act of hospitality. It might mean that you serve by taking little ones out to the children's area, the, the kids' church or Sunday school, whatever it's referred to in your church, and you help. It might mean that you talk to the young people of the church and encourage them in their walk with Christ. Whatever it is, you could be a part of rebuilding the wall that surrounds your church, a wall of protection and a wall of security to the outside community who says this is a safe place this is a place of security this is a place where God is and that's what Nehemiah achieved when he rebuilt the wall people might have thought it was just about bricks and mortar rock and rubble but it was about the presence of God and the statement that we've just seen in Nehemiah 616 that people around the city realized God has helped them do this Let's pray. Father, help us to learn the lessons of Nehemiah. Help us each to learn those lessons. 
to be a person of faith, to be a person of prayer, when things are too hard and beyond us, help us to cry out. And Father, for those who have perhaps listened to the voices of the Sanballats and the Tobias and the Geeshams of this world who hate the bride of Christ, who hate the body of Christ, who do not want the wall of protection built, who do not want the people to work together, who do not want God's people to partner with each other, who do not want people to be led well by a godly, humble, servant-hearted leader. Father, I pray that you would help those people who have succumbed to the voice of the enemy And may you put your word in their heart so that that voice of the enemy is silenced. And Father, I pray for all my brothers and colleagues and my sisters as well who are serving as local church leaders. Father, I know more than anyone else how discouraging it can be when there are Sanballats, Tobias and Geeshams. And so Father, I pray for them that you would put people around them who strengthen their hand, who know how to be an encourager, who know how to speak words of strength. And so, Father, I also pray that every church, every church in this city would be a church where people can come because they know God is in the house. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Some Walls Need to Be Torn Down and Some Need to Be Rebuilt from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Nehemiah employed one of the most powerful strategies that any leader can use, partnership. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Mm